0: What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. I'm back from a sickness, a long break, uh, non-COVID related sickness, a holiday that didn't go ahead, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. I know it's been a little while. Uh, the Timberwolves, while we've been, while I've been gone from the podcast, have been. Weird and strange and COVID-ridden and winning kind of, but losing kind of as well. It's It's been a weird December and now we're into early January, obviously. It, it, it's just been weird. The weird Wolves, which is the normal for us, I guess. It's been a different kind of normal with COVID and stuff, but it has been normal Wolves weirdness to discuss all of that, but kind of looking forward into the future, particularly I'm here with Jack Borman, Canis Hoopus contributor regular on the show friend of the show jack how you doing man
1: i'm good man much like you um life life has been has been pretty crazy um it's been it's been a it's been just like a mirror of timberwolves basketball the last year <laughs> yeah weeks. it really um, has man yeah i'm just getting back from vacation um so i haven't i haven't really had a whole lot of content out either with the holiday and being with family and all that, so def- definitely good to be to be back into it now that now that we're both on the mend here and, and so are the wolves. So
0: yeah, it, it's it's been a strange kind of uh, period where we haven't been able to speak a lot, but throughout that period, I think that we've seen obviously the COVID struggles of the team with with the starting five all missing time plus uh, a few of the reserves. Still, as we sit here and speak, Kyle Anthony Towns and Joe Russell haven't played yet. Uh, we do think that they're probably going to be back against Oklahoma City. Maybe by the time that that some of you guys are listening to this, we'll try and keep it pretty relevant so that you know this makes sense, whether whether they are back or not. But in that time, we've seen some guys step up. We've seen some guys kind of kind of fail a little bit. One of those guys who's definitely has stepped up, who we want to start with, is the guy that you have been manning the the stand train feeding shoveling the coal into the fire of the stand train of Jalen Noel for a while now I haven't always been there with you admittedly but I, I think I'm fully on board now I've got my ticket and, I, and you've stamped it for me uh Jalen Noel let's just start with kind of what have your thoughts been at, over these last I guess 10 games I think he's probably played you know, a few of those he's played. He's played in all of the last ten games, I think. But he, he his role has has increased throughout the last five, six, seven, eight of those. Um, where do you stand on Jalen Noel? I guess the the fan base is pretty happy with him. Are you kind of surprised? Is this what you always thought as that that Jalen Noel fan, or or is there something different going on?
1: No, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you know with Tim Roll's fans. Um, you know, before I really got into to WNBA coverage last summer, I I a rough plan to to do a player review series. And the first one that I did was was Jalen Noel. So I wrote this on July 19th of 2021 uh, and, and basically highlighted that his key strengths and weaknesses. And his key strength, I said, was shot making, especially if you give him a ball screen you know he can he can really dance around a ball screen, get into the mid range, uh, and and create from there. And that he was a legitimate three level scorer, uh, just because he's not the most athletic guy. He doesn't have just like an insane burst off off the dribble, uh, but he's he's got really good handle. In that he he's got a few different moves in his bag. We saw a really nice behind the back uh, left move into a left handed layup uh, last night. Uh, in the win over the Clippers. Um, and, and then, you know, I really said that his his only real main weakness was that he struggled finishing at the rim, uh, but that he had all the touch and, and all the prerequisites to be a good finisher at the rim. And, and we're seeing that this season, you know, with Noel, I think that's what I've been the most pleased with out of him um, solely because I think that, when you look at a guy like Noel, who's pretty small in stature, uh, you know, for being a guy that's six, four, um, you know, he's been the wolves best finisher at the rim so far this season. He's, he's finishing at the rim 70% at the rim that that's ahead of who we'll get to next. Jade McDaniels, who's shooting 68% at the rim. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you look at, at Noel, uh, you know, 90 or 62%, uh from long, mid-range, and 45% from the mid-range. I mean, he's just getting it done at all three levels. Shooting 38% from three. Um, Wolf's second-best three-point shooter behind Cat. Um, he's just flashing everything that that I really believed in um, this past summer, uh, and you know, and it really looks like we're we're going to see more of him, uh, you know, being activated at, at the backup point guard spot, uh, or at least in a kind of a hired gun spot next to D'Angelo Russell with the twos. um, And that was another thing that I really highlighted. I think he had that one game against the Pelicans last season uh, where where he really just went bananas, uh, especially getting, getting high ball screens and and just figuring out what to do from there, especially as a scorer. Um, But this year we've really seen him, you know, flash that passing out of the pick and roll. And I think, you know, finishing at the rim definitely has been the biggest improvement um, from last season to this season. You know, just just for reference uh, at the rim last season, Jalen Noel, you know, took uh, what was it here? He took 23 percent of his shots at the rim and he made 47 percent of them. That was Which so is ten- way below. Like, so 10th ten- so percentile last season in, in finishing right. at the rim in this season. I, I want to say that was 90th. Um, I, I can I can pull it up here really quick. Uh, yeah, 89th percentile. So that's a that's a pretty big jump. So outside of finishing at the rim, his on-ball playmaking is taking a huge jump. You know, one-handed skip passes with his left hand, right hand, jump passes, you name it. Um, you know, still got a bit, but get get a little better at hitting rollers. But yeah, man, I I can't say I expected this big of a leap, but but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely not surprised with how well he's played given the freedom to play how he wants to play. And that is something that, that is something that I know that he has been verbally appreciative of, uh, in post-game press conferences, especially, uh, you know, complimentary of Chris Finch for that. So just, just really cool to see him, see him blossom how, how he has the last you know, 10, 12 games.
0: Yeah. I, I think that in previous incarnations of the Timberwolves, it's the ones that obviously he's been there for and kind of sat on the fringes of the, of the rotation. It's always felt like he was a good enough player to be on an NBA team, but never really fit with what the Timberwolves was needed at the time, or was kind of, you know, taking minutes off someone else or, or or something along those lines. Whereas right now it feels like he's exactly what they need, which is a guy who can create instant offense off the bench, who can play with the starters in a in a more limited role and still get buckets without kind of having to be a 25 plus percent usage guy Um, right yeah right now it feels like that's that is exactly what they need Uh, they the timbles just don't have guys who create shots and it's it's been we've talked about this before we talked about it before the season not only do they not have guys who get to the rim enough which is as you were saying an area where he's really improved both in finishing and getting there to begin with but they need a guy who can bail them out at the end of a shot clock. They need a guy who can quickly, you know, get a bucket out of a pick-and-roll situation, who can attack a closeout when it comes, and a guy who can force a closeout, which has been a problem as well, where teams are kind of letting a lot of the Timberwolves guys shoot and 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 coming in with those short closeouts that that don't force t- force the defence into rotation. It's kind of just, you know, if Jaden McDaniels, who we'll get to, uh, wants to shoot most of the time, it's a short closeout where they they're not going to, let him shoot, but they're not going to kind of overextend the closeout to get to him and risk getting blown by. Same goes for Anthony Edwards. Same goes for probably everyone on the team not named Carl Anthony Towns or D'Angelo Russell. Um, so having a guy like Noel who forces long closeouts and then this, in the same vein can also attack those long closeouts, uh, I think is really valuable. Like you said, the mid-range shooting is an, it's an outlier skill in today's NBA. There's just not many guys who really butter their bread as a, as a mid range guy. And, and he really does. And every mid range shot, you just feel like he's going to go in. He's got ridiculous technique. Every time he's... he
1: shoots, I feel like it's going to go
0: in. Yeah. And then, and then the, the funny thing with him is that he's, he's probably the best shooter I've seen who misses shots as badly as he does sometimes, especially from three. Like he, <laughs> it either goes in or it is the worst brick you've ever seen. But like, thankfully they're going in more often than not. And, He's just a scorer, man. Like, this team, for a team that has lacked half-court offense all season, to just have a scorer that can score by himself without any plays being ran is such a luxury. Uh, and I'm sure Chris Finch just kind of, I don't know why he was unwilling to go to that early in the season, whether it was the defense, the playmaking, just more belief in what Jordan McLaughlin brang as a, as a backup point guard or what Malik Beasley brought as a as a – scoring fulcrum off the bench but like Noel's that dude man he, he's gonna play for the rest of the season and he really should because these last yeah 10 or so games he's he's just been excellent uh 12.3 points on 45% shooting only 32.6% from three over the last 10 games but they're they're self-created shots he can hit open looks we it's not an issue when with him when he's kind of missing threes because you know he can get hot and he can hit them uh I don't know man just I've been super impressed with him and he's quickly become just one of my favorite players to watch. Like he's just like an old school Hooper as much as, you know, the, the Hooper versus basketball player is the dumbest thing in the world. Like he is a Hooper. He's a guy who just gets buckets. You can imagine him at bloody Rucker Park, you know, getting buckets. And it's he's just a fun player to watch, even if sometimes he does have to do what he does outside of the scheme a little bit. I think Finch has come around to the fact that, that, having a guy who plays outside of the scheme and does things on his own terms occasionally is actually a good thing.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's really important because he's the type of player that excels in those situations. So, you know, after, um, I think it was after, you know I got to look at the rules schedule here for a second. Um, it was December 20th. So that would mean it was the game after the fir- the second Dallas game. Yeah. Um, where the where the Wolves blew him out. Um uh, or excuse me, the first Dallas game, that that Sunday night game where the Wolves won by six, um, you know, off the heels of that that blowout win against the Lakers. Uh, I asked Jalen Noel, you know, basically, you know, When he gets the ball, is he trying to get to a certain spot on the floor um, or just feel out the defense? Kind of what is his thought process mindset going about that? And and I'm just going to read this out. He said, to be honest, every shot I shoot, I think I can make it. So for me, it's not really a thought process of which shot I'm going to shoot. It's more about what the defense is going to give me at that point in time. If they're off, I'm going to shoot the three. If they're hugged up, I'm pretty confident I can get past them. For me, it's all about making that second read. Most of the time, after a move, what does the other defender, the help defender, going to do? Are they going to help off me? Easy pass. If they don't, then shot is going up. I play my game with feel, not really thinking too much. It's all really feel and intuition. And I think that's important because a lot of times NBA players, especially young NBA players, really struggle with what to do once they get past that first line of defense. You know, they they you know they read okay how is the defender immediately in front of me playing me what am i going to do? It's that that's that really the sign of maturation in the NBA is that full understanding of how NBA defenses work. A lot of times you'll have a low man that's coming up. A lot of times you know if they're playing a zone you have to think differently. Um you know if a team's playing drop versus a team that's blitzing more. Um and then really where your bread is buttered is how well can you read that, that second. And know, how, how quickly as well. How yeah, quickly, they, it, yeah. All exactly. of these
0: guys come out of college being able to read, like make those reads. But you see with guys like Noel, with other guys who are young, who are used to scoring at such a high level, it's can they make those reads, you know, one, two, three seconds quicker because the, everyone's more athletic. Everyone rotates quicker. Everyone is more in tune with a defensive scheme in the NBA. And now you see he's got that mid-range shot, which is a bailout shot for most guys. Where it's like if you kind of get stuck in there and you and you haven't made the passing read quick enough, or you haven't made the the read to to get to the ring quick enough, you can hit that. You can shoot that mid-range jumper. He's got that, and he's really really good at it, which is great. But now I think you're seeing him. You know, the low man sucks in, he hits the corner quickly with a pass. Uh, the You know, the low man doesn't come, he, he tries to take one more dribble and get to his left hand or, or his right hand and get kind of, you know, with those side-on layups. Um, if the if the big's in drop, he's going to shoot that kind of leaning mid-range jumper that he's really good at. Uh, and all those things are things that he, he could do at the start of his career, but now he's doing them, like, really quick. And, well, and, and that's the difference.
1: Yeah, and I think something that's really helpful... Um, I mean, people forget that Jalen Noel was the Pac-12 Player of the Year. I mean, this dude and yeah. co- his college highlights are fucking insane, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and I think that helps when you're the primary focus of a team's defense in college, especially at the high major Division One level. Like, you're just going to be defended in different types of ways. And, and Jalen Noel, it's not like he's developed a mid-range game or he's developed the ability to finish at the rim. Like, everything that you see in his bag. He's had since college. It's just a matter of, you know, has he perfected it enough to be able to use it against defenses, like you said, that are much quicker, much stronger, much, you know, have much better hands, um, you know, other coaches that, you know, whose schemes are frankly smarter um, and more advanced. Um, And he's shown the ability to do that. And and I think that it makes sense when you hear or kind of hear me explain what Jalen Noel says is his offensive game. And that it's predicated on feel. It's predicated on reading the defense. And when you have a guy that can do that, as opposed to, you know, somebody like Anthony Edwards, and, and this is no disrespect to Anthony Edwards at all, his offensive game for the for the majority of his life has been predicated on brute force, just being mm-hmm. bigger, faster, stronger, more physical than the guy in front of him. And that's why it's taken him a little bit to, you know, adjust to the way that NBA defenses are guarding him. And and that's why you see that you know, the the inconsistencies uh, in his offensive game at times from night to night. And that's why I think you're seeing Jalen Noel play so consistently, albeit, you know, a little less explosively than Anthony Edwards. Um, but I think that has a lot to do with the feel that's in his game. Um, and there's no surprise. <laughs> there's no surprise that, that he's doing what he's doing. I mean, especially to me. I mean, last year I said that, um, or in this article, I pretty much said that, in order to optimize Noel, you need to get at least fifteen minutes a game. Um, and I said the Wolves would need to make an upgrade that sends out Beasley and or Rubio. They upgraded on Rubio with Patrick Beverly. Said Noel is just too talented offensively to leave on the bench, especially when the Wolves bench went dormant far too often last season. They went dormant again this season, so that's why he was inserted. And then I said he'd be he'd you know, if he's able to play a good chunk of his minutes on the ball next year He'll have a bounce back year that lands him firmly in the Wolves long term plans given given his contract. And I said with his talent level, it just won't be that hard for him to outproduce his contract and make a sizable offensive impact after a full offseason summer league and training camp.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing is he is he needs the ball. And that's yep. I
1: think is what has held
0: him back from from getting in Finch's rotation because it is a big step for Finch to be like, here we go, you're you're not in the rotation, now you are and we also want to give you, yeah, 25% usage rate because that's the best way to optimize you. And that's a big step for a guy who, who he, I don't think thinks still has a lot of faith in defensively and probably had less faith in, in him as a playmaker last season as well. So it, it's a tight rope to walk with Noel because if you sit him off the ball, you, you're doing him a disservice and you may as well have a guy in there who plays better defense. But if you give him the ball and you... And you let him kind of run wild a little bit. You let him do his thing. You let him read the defense. You let him be a guy who takes 12 shots a night in, in, you know, 17, 18 minutes a game. But, but mainly when he's playing with those all or, or semi bench lineups where he's by far the best scorer of the bunch or, or he's, you know, alongside Danzo Russell or, or alongside Anthony Edwards where they, those two can kind of be a one two punch offensively as shot creators. I think you really can get the best out of him. And we started to see a little bit of that before all these guys went down with COVID. And and then when they did, he was kind of thrust into that role where he had to do that. And yeah, I I just think it's interesting that Finch still, throughout all those weird fucking lineups that we saw, insisted on bringing Noel off the bench. For all of that time, I don't think he started one game, uh, even when he was probably, you know, one of the two or three best players on the floor on some nights he, he was always coming off the bench and I think that's a sign that this isn't just a, a plug the whole kind of move from Finch this is a you know you're going to be in the in the rotation when everyone's back so we're going to get you into your role right now and that's going to be a guy who gives you 20 minutes off the bench or, or 15 18 minutes off the bench and and you're gonna have to learn maybe to play with worse players right now because when it, when these guys come back, you are going to be in lineups that don't always have Carl Anthony Towns, that don't always have Anthony Edwards there. And the way for for him to improve now was to was to be in those lineups with guys like Lehman and, and Nate Knight and, and, and stuff like that. And we've seen that he's really taken that challenge head on. And now when you when you get those guys back, those bench lineups are inevitably better because Jade McDaniels is probably going to be alongside him D'Angelo Russell will be alongside him at times. It's it's really been a uh, a nice introduction, I think, for him to, to come in when with this team kind of being depleted and now he he's gained his confidence and that should only go up as the team gets better as a whole and kind of, you know, fills in around him.
1: Yeah. And the last thing that I'll add is that you did a good job explaining of of why his playmaking has grown more this year than last year. And that's just more freedom with the ball. I mean, in his turnover rate last season was eight and a half percent. So he turned it over on eight and a half, eight and a half percent of all offensive possessions he played in last year. That was 85th percentile this season. His turnover percentage is a whopping six percent. That's 98th percentile. And that's the best on the team just ahead of Malik Beasley, who's in the 94th percentile. But the interesting thing is that Jalen Noel has the fifth highest usage rate on the team this year at just over 22%. And then you factor that in with the fact that he also has the fifth highest assist percentage, which is just the total number of his team's assists when he's on the floor. Um, you know, he's doing a really good job of working with what the defense is giving him without turning it over. Like his decision-making is there. Like that assist percentage of 20.2, if you look at last season, his assist percentage was just about 13. So he's really grown as a playmaker and he's been relied upon more as a playmaker this season. And he's turning important. it over less. As and well. he's turning it over less. So I think the thing is, is, Yes, he's a rhythm player, but two, I think he's a guy that, like, if you put the ball in his hands, like, the worst thing that's going to happen more often than not is just, like, a long back iron miss that leads to, like, a transition run out. And if that's the worst thing that's happening that's almost controllable by just getting your ass back in transition, I think that you'll live with that all day every day in terms of trusting a guy to be on the ball more.
0: Yeah. And especially when you have a guy like Jared Vanderbilt on your team, like when you have a guy like Vanderbilt on your team, sometimes just getting it up on the ring is enough you to know, slow a... down
1: a transition attack. Yeah. Too.
0: Yeah. If yeah. not get an open three on a second possession, because that's what Vanderbilt does. And I think that's what frustrates me sometimes when, when Kat kind of hands off hand grenades to other players, because Cat can get the ball up on the ring at any time of the, of, you know, the shot clock because he's that good of a shooter. So uh yeah, with with Noel, I think to your point about the, the turnover percentage is apart from just making good decisions as a passer, what impresses me is that he's a really good ball handler, like not in the way that he's going to break any ankles or that he's going to you know whip out these crazy dribble moves. He just doesn't turn the ball over. Like you look at Anthony Edwards and he averages three and a half turnovers per game. And I'd say at least two of them are from like getting the ball stripped from him when he goes goes to the ring noel it just doesn't happen to him he he's it it plays to a point where he's just like a natural kind of all of his life one on one scorer where he just really shields the ball well when he's getting his way into the mid range those little half turns and the and the you know he he dribbles and he just pulls the ball back a little bit so it doesn't get taken he never he never drives into contested areas without a plan it's it's really impressive the way like that six percent turnover rate is just probably the most impressive stat of anything you know that he's done this season because he takes a lot of a lot of crazy shots he doesn't he gets into the inside the restricted area a lot, a lot. he gets inside the paint a lot and to, to never get that ball taken off you and to never throw bad passes is just kind of wildly impressive for for a young guy uh let's Move on. We want to talk about Jade McDaniels, McDaniel's as well. He's probably been the other guy when you're talking about guys who have stepped up over this last you know ten game stretch or or around that. Uh, in the last ten, McDaniel's is playing 31 minutes a game, which is obviously back up from from what had fallen a little bit since he's gone out of the starting lineup and and allowed Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly to to form that that Thanos gauntlet of of starting five beautiful nature thing. Um, He's played 31 minutes over the last 10, 12.8 points per game, 49.5% shooting from the field, which is really good considering how poor he was at the start of the season. 35% on 4.6 threes a game, 5.6 boards. I've loved Jaden McDaniels over the last 10 or, you know, 8, 9, 10 games. I've I've just loved him, man. I, I love him when he has a little bit more freedom to do things. And to me, McDaniels is really self-aware when he's with the, the the really good players. When the good players are in the lineup, he's really self-aware. If he can't get to the ring easily, if he can't catch the ball on a cut, if he can't shoot an open catch and shoot three, he will not take more than two dribbles. He will take one dribble, survey, get it to someone who's better than him. And I love that mentality because that's what, role players should do but yeah as we have spoke about for years now um there's a little bit under the surface with mcdaniels and, and we've started to see it lately how have you seen the mcdaniels kind of usage experiment of late
1: yeah i mean i think the the biggest thing for me is that you know i've seen i've seen a guy who has really bought into playing off the bench um which is he, not
0: always the case. It's it's no. a testament to him.
1: Yeah, no, it, it definitely is a testament to him. And I think that um, just with the way that the way that he plays, like I think that it's so much easier for him to take advantage of mismatches if he's in the second unit because a lot of times you're getting guys that are smaller than him uh, that are on him, uh, and that allows him to really kind of be more confident in terms of attacking guys off the dribble. I think he, he's much more confident attacking guys that are much smaller than him as opposed to trying to blow by guys that are bigger than him um, because he trusts his size and his length at the rim more than he did last season and I think that's important and again it goes back to you know what was I just saying you know and you want to look at the guys who have finished the best at the rim you have Jaden McDaniels it's 68 percent right behind Jalen Noel uh, and in terms of guys who are taking the most shots at the rim Jaden McDaniels is above average 56 percentile about a third of his shots are taken at the rim this season um and I think that's really important too um because you know he's a guy who's three point shot I think you know I've seen a lot of inconsistency in his form um Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times you see him kind of lean back when he shoots and a lot of times when that happens the ball ends up being short um and it's not really because of his legs I think it's just because he leans back and I think that most times when you see him kind of go straight up and down, um, you just see a more confident shot. Like we saw that again last night versus the Clippers. Um, And you know, if his three point shot is falling, all that off the dribble stuff, um, you know, kind of takes care of itself. Like he's just going to be able to attack more closeouts. Like you were talking about with, you know, Noel being able to generate those long closeouts. That's the thing that Jaden McDaniels can do as well. Um, But, but the main thing that I've, I've noticed from Jaden McDaniels and, and I've tweeted about this a few different times. So, apologies if, if it's redundant for people is that Jim McDaniels has been used a lot more as a role man this year um and he's been used a lot as a role man with Jalen noel with d with anthony edwards but the biggest constant in when he's been used as a, as a role man is when carl anthony towns is on the floor um so what they'll do is they'll get an unloaded side they'll get to the unloaded side of the floor so there will be three three players on the on the weak side of the floor um yeah, and and then they'll just run just a, a pick and roll with Jaden McDaniels. A lot of times it comes from the wing um, or even from the corner in uh, McDaniels. We've seen that that crazy ninja catch the ball, spin in midair and throw it <laughs> to the opposite corner all in one motion. And that's created some some insanely wide open shots. Uh, but but he's a guy who who. You know obviously can catch lobs throw it down um, is really good has really good hands catching the ball in traffic and finishing at the rim um and that short roll passing too is, is has been there so I think being able to take advantage of how versatile of a player he is um, is is something that I've seen Chris Finch do more and more um, over the, as the season has progressed and something that that I've been excited about
0: yeah and he just seems like a confidence player to me he just but like when he's not confident, he can't take more than three dribbles without kind of you know mishandling it. When he is confident, he can. He doesn't need to be a guy who dribbles around for for ten seconds. Like he doesn't need to do the Anthony Edwards thing where he kind of you know pulls it back and attacks switches and attacks mismatches. He he just needs to be able to go off the dribble or go off the catch and and take two or three dribbles. I love I love when he pulls up in the mid range because he's so tall. Like that that shot is unblockable and. He's got really good touch in the mid range. Uh he he. I don't think he always trusts himself to get to the rim. I know you said obviously the finishing at the rim and the the frequency is pretty good, but I think when it's like self created stuff from from the rim, he doesn't always trust himself to be able to get that far because of his ball handling, which I think was was something that played Andrew Wiggins as well um, during his time, where kind of the the fourth mid range shots came because he didn't always believe he could get to the rim without being stripped or without kind of dribbling off his leg. I think McDaniels has a little bit of that, but I really like the mid-range shots because he he doesn't take... They're not long mid-range jumpers. They're more like within the elbow extended area. Um, I, I just... I, I really like McDaniels as a guy who has confidence and, and he he can only get that confidence when I think when he's playing in the second unit or playing without you know the stars there because like I said before, he's... He's naturally wired to defer to to the better players, which is a good trait to have. But I think if you can get him to that point where he feels like he is one of those guys and where he is a scoring option, um, the Wolves are just going to be in a much better place. I completely agree with you about the the jump shooting, the three-point shooting and the form. Something I noticed at Washington and I think still applies to this day is if he can walk into a jumper like a, a 1 2 kind of step into a jump on catch and shoot he they go in way more uh if it's plain catch and shoot that's when i feel like he starts to lean back on it i've got no idea why that is but it, it, that that rhythm 1 2 step into a 3 point shot seems to be when his body stays balanced um and, and outside of that it seems like I don't know if it's if it's trying to create a little bit more space for himself, you know, by leaning back a little bit. I'm not sure what it is, but it's it's an it's an inconsistent jumper that naturally, you know, yields inconsistent results. But lately, it's been better, I think, and it's been more confident. And and that goes back to what I was just saying. I think everything to do with McDaniel's is confidence. I think last season he was confident in his jumper. He still had those same. Kind of balance issues, but they were going in more because he, he I think he felt like they were going in more. And when he's when he's not confident on on his jumper, when he's not confident with his dribbling, when he's not confident with his finishing at the rim, it it all seems to to fall. So confidence, confident, Jaden McDaniels is what I want to see, and I think we are seeing it lately. And now I want to see it. You know, in a situation where there is gonna be guys on the floor he can defer to. I want to see him just you know four or five times a game look off D'Angelo Russell and do it himself, you know, like, like, take the role of the bench scorer and kind of embrace it, because I'm not sure that mentally that's, that's quite where he is right now.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, and I, and I liked what you said about, he's kind of wired to defer, and I think when he's out there with the bench, he he can't. He knows, right. and he's starting to understand and grasp the fact that he can't defer if he's out there playing with the bench, especially, you know, if he's playing with, you know, Malik Beasley, Nas Reed, and like Torian Prince, for instance, if that's going to yeah. be like the forwards, the forward crew to go with Noel and Beasley, like he he's got to know that he's the second best option off the dribble with those, with that lineup. And I think too, he kind of... You know, Jalen Noel just plays with so much swagger and confidence that I think when Noel kind of gets a shot to go down or or gets a, or gets a second or a third to go down, like McDaniels is kind of a guy that feeds off of that confidence. I think, yeah. and and he kind of knows, like, all right, we're rolling, like we got some energy. I'm going to shoot it, and and even when they don't, like last night, I think, you know, the Timberwolves' offense last night was terrible against the Clippers. It was so much just standing around, you know not running anything with intention in the half court and, and McDaniels to his credit was like, shit, I have an open shot. I'm just going to take it. he did that, you know, two or three times in a row made all three, made, you know, three, of those threes, I think it was in the second quarter. Um, you know, that's huge. And, and for a guy to kind of realize, like, we're not really getting anything and I have a good shot, so I'm not going to pass it up. Like that's, that's important in terms of taking the next step and being aggressive. So, um, you know, and then the other thing that, that stood out for me to switch gears a little bit to defense, like watching that Knicks game, the way that he was able to defend Julius Randle, who's one of the most physically imposing uh, matchups in the entire NBA, just in terms of the way that, you know, even when he's on the perimeter, he's just trying to go through guys or take guys to the low post and then go through them that way. The way that he was able to stand up Julius Randle, that was incredibly impressive for, for yeah. someone that, that we've long thought to be too, you know, too frail to be you know it'd be a starting four in this league um and and i think that that further kind of backs up the the claim that that he should be used as a 3 because if you can use him as a 3 and still have a capable four who you know has some more meat on his bones and you know and is and is also mobile or can shoot threes one or the other um you know i think that that just becomes you know further you know, further, deadlier weapon, um, or more deadly weapon that that the Timberwolves can use off the bench or you know bring alongside the starting lineup, um, you know, in certain matchups if they need to, if Vando gets in foul trouble or, or what may have you.
0: Yeah, and he seems to just foul less, which has obviously been the big problem defensively this season. He just seems to foul less when he's able to guard smaller dudes naturally. Like he doesn't put his hands on guys as much. He doesn't feel the need to to use, you know, physical force to kind of to stop guys when he feels like he can compete with them kind of size-wise. And, and I think that's why Finch loves to put him on point guards. Uh, I know that he he got a little bit of flack for not being able to guard Westbrook or, you know, Timber in that game, but I thought he did really a really good job on both of them. I think that a lot of the times with defense, you obviously can't, Judge defense just on process, uh, just on results, and, and a lot of the time it's process. And McDaniel's guards point guards really well, as good as anyone who gets consistent minutes on this team outside of Pat Beverly's probably. So if you have him in that second that second unit, uh you can you can really kind of mix him in as a defensive stopper, and then if he gives you some of that offensive confidence and stuff that we've spoke about, then he really becomes a a pretty impactful Swiss Army knife. Um, for the team Uh, and we know he's we know he's good defensively and we know that he's struggled with with fouls this season so I think it'll start to balance itself out I think it has started to balance itself out a little more he's been able to as I said play 30 minutes a game over the last 10 so obviously the fouls aren't impacting him too much Um, but yeah I've just been a huge fan of McDaniels lately I think he's really found a groove and found a a niche in on this team as a as a bench scorer and as a guy who can play with second-unit guys and, and be like that secondary creator. And and that's different from what we've seen in the past and a really big added bonus to this team who does need as many creators as they can find because right now it's still, the cupboards are still pretty bare in terms of self-creation. And if you're not getting anything from Noel or from D'Lo, you're pretty much not getting anything anywhere. So, um, yeah, props to Jaden McDaniels, I think, because I think he's been really good lately. Um. Let's take yeah, a quick break. Oh,
1: I'll go. On. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to add one thing too. And that I, I think that, you know, we have started to see, we have started to see that more in recent, in recent games in terms of, you know, Jaden being used the right way and kind of being used as that Swiss army knife that can, that can be a mismatch. And, and, and two, like he, just in terms of pick and roll, roll man, he's generating 1.46 points per a hundred possessions, or excuse me, points per possessions. Um, and that's, that's why than I thought it would be It's 92nd percentile. Um, and, and he's running about, or he's, you know, and, and again, this is only tracking possessions where like he's shooting or, you know, has a pass that leads to a shot or is turning it over. So it's not all possessions, but you know, he's only having like one of those or half of those per game. Um, but but that frequency has gone up of late, and then too with handoffs, it's the same thing. One point six four points per possession in handoffs, um, and that's something that that we're going to continue to see more of. And those are those are trends that we've seen grow, and and hopefully we'll we'll continue to see grow because you know he's he's best used as a guy that can that can attack the rim either on the roll or with the ball in his hands, not not necessarily spotting up.
0: Yeah, and I think that lent, the handoff number one point six. Did you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think that lends itself as well to what I was saying where I think he's a much better three-point shooter coming off handoffs and stopping because it it's into that, that rhythm, that one-two-step rhythm naturally without having to kind of create it himself as a shooter because you can't always create it on catch-and-shoot looks because it does take half a second to, to take those one-two steps and that could be the difference between being wide open and being, you know, contested.
1: And I've noticed they've given him some drag screens, too, where, like, he'll he'll be in the corner and he'll get a handoff and then have a drag where, you know, then he can either kind of do that one little left-handed dribble where, and it's always been on the right side of the floor, but will always get that, that little left-hand dribble, little mini step back for a three um, that's pretty fluid. Uh, yeah. Or he'll just fly around it and attack the basket, which is great. And I think that that's, you know real and I think it's Finch too realizing exactly what you're seeing is th- is that you know he's better you know with the movement shots yeah and and having a coach that's willing to see something like that and if even if it's two or three times a game, just throwing giving a guy that that space to be himself, I think that's um, i th- I just think it's awesome that that Finch yeah. is doing that, and I think it it's it's a great reason why so many of these players. Are coming out with with such high praise for for Chris Finch, um, and I think it was it was Britt Robson mentioned this on Dane's podcast that like he hasn't heard a single player complain about minutes, um, and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense when you have a coach that that's willing to do that. Uh, you know, when players do play, that he trusts them to to play their best game. He's not pigeonholing them into you know an assignment that makes sense based on the position, but not the player's skill set. Yeah, um, and I think that that. That mindset from French has given credence to to a lot of McDaniel's success of late.
0: Yeah, I like like you said when he's turning off those handoffs. I, I love when he's really like swooping to the ring. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I know I'm harping on this, but I think it's all to do with the confidence because it just seems like when he sets his mind to do something, he's really good at it, and that's probably why he was such a talented high school player. But I think that that stint at Washington, where a lot of things went wrong. Kind of really stunted his growth as a player, um, and and as a guy who has the confidence that he can do all those things at, at the highest level. And when you get him moving into space, and I think you really kind of drill it into him that like you have to, if you come around this double drag action, you, like you will go to the ring, or you will pull up for a jumper, you know, or you will get downhill and make a dump off pass, which he's really good at as well. I think that when when you force him into that, you know, you almost pigeonhole him, but in the right way. You pigeonhole him into if you get the ball, we want you to create, and you have to create, rather than like him being able to defer because you know he has the excuse that Charles Anthony Towns is alongside him, or that Anthony Edwards is there calling for the ball, or that D'Angelo Russell is semi-open in the corner. Like I think when when he's coming downhill and he can use that length, and he's forced to use that length to be a finisher, he's just a A really awesome prospect and he's still 21 years old and it and it's kind of easy to forget because he feels like a veteran on this team at this point you know he just turned 21 yeah yeah and he and he's you know built like a 19 year old and and speaks like a 16 year old so it's it's easy to (laughs) it's easy to forget that he's still like really young in this league and, and so much potential there even you know it's nice to see it right now us talking about it coming back to that level where at the start of the season it was kind of like was Jaden McDaniels just a guy who was fun to watch when a the team was bad and b no one in the league knew who he was and and now the league knows who he is and the team's you know fairly good or or at least kind of average and he's starting to find a rhythm in that situation rather than just being a, a kid who who gets a lot of hype because the team. You know, wasn't very good, and we needed something to hype. I think he, he's kind of cementing himself now as an actual, you know, really good young prospect on both ends.
1: Yeah, and I th- and just last last point I'll make on Jade. Um, and again, this this is coming from cleaning the glass. Which for all I mean, anything I've used for the percentile outside of the play types is, is come from cleaning the glass. No, um, he's grown as an offensive rebounder too, um, yeah. and I think that that's really he helped so kind of get in that him in Lakers a game.
0: Man, he's so good in that Lakers game.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's getting an offensive rebound on on almost five percent of of the the Wolves' missed shots. Um, that's up from three percent last year, and that's the difference between being average and um, in, in the seventy sixth percentile this season. And that's something that if you looked at like a rolling average, uh, you know, over the course of the season with his his offensive rebound percentage, like it is. It is going up. It's like it's like an exponential curve up. He's just kind of realizing that, like, all right, like Vando's not here or Cat's not here. Like, I got to crash the glass, and I hope that that's something that once Cat is back on Wednesday, uh, yeah, that you know that he still is just a constant go 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 crash the glass guy. Um, and I think that's something too, since he's since he's moved to the bench, we've seen, um, you know, out of necessity because you know Vanderbilt's not there. Um, and uh, and Towns isn't there, so because yeah. he's the he's the tall. I mean, with that bench crew, he's the tallest guy that's that's out there. He might be the tallest guy on the team. Oh, he oh yeah, right he out. is. He is. Yeah, yeah he's taller than Cat. He he's. I think Jane's like a legit seven foot. Cat's like six ten and a half. Yeah, but that's for another day.
0: <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about kind of this next stretch of games and what the Timberwolves, you know, need to do to. To win them what they haven't been doing as much lately and, and kind of look forward a little bit to to the rest of this little mini stretch they've got before they head into another uh, tough stretch of games at the end of January so we'll be back in two seconds to talk about that All right, we are back. Um, I'm, I'm winging this, but I believe it is OKC, OKC, Houston and New Orleans as the next four games. Obviously, the Wolves are on a one-game win streak at the moment as we sit here and talk about it. So they, they realistically should be pushing for, for a five-game win streak, which is what they need to do or at least you know get around that mark to, to get themselves back around 500 and back into the, the actual playoff seven eight six seed kind of race, which is certainly not out of the question right now with the, the bottom of the West being, you know, the West playoff race being just a mess and an ever-changing tapestry. Uh, what do you think that the Wolves need to do? I know that you've kind of been compiling a lot of numbers and stuff of late. Uh, what do the Wolves need to do better to, to be a team that, you know, handles business comfortably? Because right now... We know that that everything's been weird when they haven't had anyone there. It's kind of been, it's been hard to learn anything in these last six, seven games. It's just like, we'll go out there and and try and compete because the team's fucking obliterated with with talent. Um, But now the talent's coming back. What, you know, now we can learn things. And and I want to know from your perspective, kind of what is it that they need to do to handle business? Because it's really important that they handle business over the next week or two.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the biggest thing for, for the Timberwolves, I think is that, is that they really have to continue to get out and run as much as they can. Um, you know, the Timberwolves have, have still just been so poor in the half court as a team. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily something that, that any of us saw coming. Like I thought that, <laughs> Pretty sure that everybody thought the Timberwolves were going to be, you know, one of the better half-court teams in the entire NBA. Um, but, you know, you look at it, this season they're 26th in half-court efficiency. Uh, Do that's... you think that will stick? Like,
0: are you kind of factoring into your equations so that they're probably just never going to improve, you know, significantly in the half-court?
1: I don't want to say never um, just because I think Finch is unlocking more with Noel and McDaniels, which I think is important for, from the bench's perspective, especially Um, you know, and I think we're starting to see Anthony Edwards shoot the ball a little bit better, which is helpful. So I don't want to say they're never going to do that just because they have so much offensive talent and they have such a smart coach. Um, But, but I think that sometimes You know, it takes some time for guys to get used to each other and where guys like the ball, what spots they like to operate in. Um, And I, and I think that's definitely been part of this whole bench lineup. Like the Wolves starting lineup has been so damn good. And that's been something that's been, you know, really, really helpful um, in terms of the team getting much better. But, you know, the Timberwolves starting lineup so far this season is playing 24% of the minutes with, with five starters on the floor. Yeah. Um, and that's over the course of the whole season, not necessarily just, you know, this new starting lineup. And this is coming from PBP stats. Um, and, and their net run, their net rating among, with starting lineups, on you know, all their starting lineups this year is over 11. Uh, but they're 25th in terms of frequency that starters are on the floor. So that, that really starts with, with the bench playing better in the half court. Um, And a way to kind of also aid that is just to get out and run. Like the Timberwolves so far this season um, are are fourth in the league in terms of most plays, or excuse me, like highest percentage of their plays being in transition. Um, And and that's really helpful in terms of kind of keeping their offense afloat. Uh, And and they're just going to need to keep doing that until they can get the half-court offense figured out.
0: Yeah, and Uh, that's why they need to be chaotic defensively because that's how they get, that's kind of, that's been the mantra of the Timberwolves this season: is you know get stops, force turnovers, not just you know make teams miss, but really force turnovers, get into people's grill, turn turn teams over, and then get out and run from that from that you know from doing that. So even when they're not, uh, you know, I know I think you've got the numbers in front of you, but like they're not a very good team finishing in transition offensively. But if you can just get more transition opportunities, you know, the more the better. It's always going to be better than what their half court kind of proficiency is right now because it just hasn't been good in the half court and the way they've survived is just still I know we haven't spoken about it much on this podcast and maybe we probably won't, but like the Timbles are still a really good defensive team. That's what they are. And strange it's strange to say that is that they are a defensive team who can get hot enough and skate by and transition enough and, you know, have a big night from Ant or have a big night from Cat. Like that's what they are offensively right now. But what they are as a team is a team that forces turnovers and does it consistently. And we're way too far into the season for that to be, you know, a fleeting kind of trend that that's just what they are right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and just to add some context to the, to the numbers that you're talking about with transition. So the Timberwolves are second in the NBA in terms of how often they get into transition after a steal. So they, 70% of the team steals lead to transition. Um, that's second in the NBA. Uh, But in terms of points per 100 possessions, uh, like transition possessions that come after a steal, they're 16th in the league in efficiency. Um, And and that's something that simply has to get better. And then in terms of off of live ball rebounds, they're 10th in the NBA in terms of turning like live ball rebounds into transition looks. But off of those, they're 21st in efficiency, according to cleaning the glass. Um, and, And overall in transition, you know, bundle all that together. Sixth in transition frequency, it's about 17%, uh, but 22nd in efficiency. Um, And and, and those things just just are are really bad, uh, frankly, for a team that, that, like you said, is causing so much chaos. The Wolves are third in deflections. They're fifth in offensive loose balls recovered. They're fourth and defensive loose balls recovered, and their fourth in charges drawn. So when you when you think about that, like that's that's causing chaos, baby. That that's that's chaos in a bottle uncorked, <laughs> like that. That's what you want. But but then too, and then, then you want to look at chaos on the offensive end of the floor. Um, you know, the Timberwolves are, are doing really well. I mean, they're fourth in offensive rebounding percentage, um, and, and 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 you know, they're frankly just not turning in like second chance possessions very well. They're 15th in second chance possession efficiency in terms of scoring off second chances, which is, which is really unfortunate. Um, and the other, and I have a bunch of stats here in front of me. Uh, and, and what bothers me the most, I think about the Timberwolves second chance, uh, second chance looks is that if you look at what their expected field goal percentage is in terms of strictly just like the quality of shots that they're getting. Minnesota is third in shot quality overall. So just general, you know, transition, half court stuff, third, which is great. They're taking a lot of shots at the rim. They're taking a lot of shots from three, which is awesome. Uh, but then in, in second chance, they're 16th. They're taking a lot more shots from the mid range, especially from the long mid range, uh, which which is concerning. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, you see so many teams, especially against the Timberwolves, do such a great job of, you know, finding the corners for threes, um, you know, or, or making a or making a decisive cut and having the guy who gets the rebound drop it off for for a quick little assist. Um, and that and that, frankly, just is not happening. Um, and, and it's and it's disappointing. Um, the Timberwolves. Uh, and if you remove putbacks from the, from the equation, so like, you know, Vanderbilt just grabbing a rebound and going up with it, like if you remove those possessions, the Timberwolves drop from, drop from 17th in efficiency to 20th in efficiency, um, because they have guys like Mando and Kat that are so damn good at just getting the ball and getting it back up on the rim right away. Um, so, you know, with, the, with the Wolves, um. You know, for a team that that is getting into transition, that is getting as much second chance looks as they have so far this season, um, they, they've just done a really poor job at converting those two areas, um, which is unfortunate because, um, you know, those are the easiest opportunities that you have to score. Um, and, and creating them is the hard part. And you've already done all the dirty work. You've already gotten yourself there, but you just can't get it across the finish line in terms of scoring. Um, and that's, that's something that's, that's been a trend that I've been following that I think now we have a large enough sample size to say, I'm, I'm officially concerned by that.
0: Yeah. The, the problem is that they've got this beautiful kind of dirty mentality where they do all the, they do all the dirty work and they, and they do all these things that, that really impress us as a, as fans of a team who have probably been too clean, you know, in recent years, they've never done the dirty work and they've never done all the stuff that, that you need to be a winner, you know, quote unquote winner. And that's, that's the Pat Beverly and the, and the Jared Vanderbilt kind of mentality. That's what they've brought to this team, but they haven't, you know, as you, as you've been kind of going over there with the numbers is they can't refine it to a point where like they turn the dirtiness into cleanliness within the same game. Right now they're just dirty. They can get the turnovers. They can get the second chance looks, they but they can't hit the shots. They can't finish at the rim. And, I I still do think that it's a personnel problem because you know you look you look at the the personnel on the roster and like who's finishing in, in transition consistently? D'Angelo Russell's not because he he's barely ever the guy doing the finishing. It, he he helps in transition because I think he moves the ball really well if he off live ball rebounds um and he really does start a lot of those transition opportunities. He he's definitely a factor in that, but he's not going to finish them. Malik Beasley doesn't finish them unless they're dunks. Anthony Edwards does, Tatum Anthony Hounds does. I don't know who else does. You know, if there's if there's one guy back, I don't really trust anyone except Ant or Carl Anthony Towns to be finishing transition opportunities just because, like, none of these guys are great finishers at the rim. And, and that's a lot of the problems on this team, I think, stem, you know, from that that first problem of not being able to finish. They they shoot too many threes, you know, despite not having a, a bevy of really good three-point shooters because no one can get to the rim outside of Ant. Ant shoots too many threes because he's just like tasked with this enormous responsibility for finishing at the rim and being the only guy who can do it. And and even then, it's not like he's, you know, he doesn't have his own shot selection issues to work out. But I just think when guys can't finish at the rim, those second chance points are inevitably going to be, you know, threes or long twos, like you said. The transition opportunities are going to be missed shots when they probably should be mates. That I can't even count the amount of times this season where You know, the Wolves have have blown a three-on-one transition opportunity and, and, you know, sent the ball to the underworld instead of putting it in the basket. So, yeah, I I just think that right now, like I said, they they do all the dirty work and that is awesome and that needs to be the bedrock of this team. Like, Like, them just mucking everything up is what they do and that's how they still win because if they get out in transition and they only finish... At the sixteenth best rate, but they're doing it, you know, twice as much as the other team on the night. That might still be enough to get you a win, but for them to really like optimize this this foundation and this mentality that they all play with, they need to be able to, you know, yeah, turn that dirtiness into into the pretty stuff, into the made shots, into the the made baskets in transition. And, and I'm just not sure that they have the personnel to do that, especially when when someone like Malik Beasley is struggling so much from three. Um, and guys like D'Angelo Russell are struggling from three. Anthony Edwards has been good lately, but you know he's not still not a reliable three point shooter. Like it's it's all just kind of a, a amalgamation of of you know just dirtiness that's yeah that's not turned into cleanliness. I know it's a weird way to keep putting it, but yeah that that's kind of how I look at this team where it's it's just not working. All all the gears aren't working together right now, but there's enough gears where. You you can see the the big picture and how it could be if they kind of you know got some better personnel or or, or cleaned up their game a little bit individually.
1: Yeah, and I think that something that's a very clear trend is that, um, you know, is that the the players who who are generally playing with the wolves bench are the guys that are really struggling to kind of help affect transition possessions or like force guys to get out and run. Like the nice thing about Noel kind of becoming this backup point guard is that Noel actually is, is pretty damn good in terms of, you know, kind of getting everybody organized and and forcing guys to get out the floor. um, When when he has the ball in his hands, which, which is nice to see. Um, And and that's something that, you know, that if he's going to be out there and he's going to be the point guard, like that's a big responsibility in this offensive system. Um, And so, you know, I, that's also a reason why I am, I am very close to the idea to subscribing to the idea that Nathan Knight should play over Nas Reed. Um, you know, I think Nas is, is a useful weapon in the half court um, and is, and has really been solid as a, as a pick and roll roll man, especially scoring out of the pick and roll. Um, but I think Knight gives you so much more, so much more defensively as a guy that can switch onto the yeah. perimeter and, yeah. and, and wall off guys that are bigger than him that try and drive. But the thing about Nathan Knight that we've seen too, in the small sample size, really, really effective uh, guy at, at pushing the ball up the floor after he gets a rebound or, or, you know, the second a possession is done just flies up the floor. Um, And that's something that's desperately needed in a bench unit of guys that frankly, aren't all that, you know, athletic. Uh, yeah. you know, you yeah, starting...
0: does starting. Nas does his thing, but he's not a rim runner. Like he's never, he's always been like a still big, whereas Knight is a rim runner kind of through and through, whether it's in the half court or whether it's a guy who just wants to beat his opponent down the floor and, and get an easy one of the hoop.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's part of the problem is like, you know, all of the guys that, that seemingly are really good transition players outside of, um, uh, you know, outside of Malik Beasley or in the starting lineup, um, And I think that's unfortunate. Uh, Just be like Jaden McDaniels. There's no reason that Jaden McDaniels should be like a really, really, or not like an amazing transition player. Like the Wolves transition frequency goes up by like two and a half percent when Jaden McDaniels is on the floor. And that's like 87th percentile. Um, And that's great. I think that's like second or third highest on the entire team. Um, And like, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a thing. Like Noel's got to realize if he's getting the ball, you got to fly up the floor. If you're Nas Reed, like you got to look to outlet immediately, um, and that's something that Cat actually has done really, really well with this year. That I think Cat's yeah. taken a big step forward is is trying to really just force now um, uh, really try and force like the hand in terms of getting the ball up the floor quickly, uh, especially with steals too. Like like when he's, I think it's happened more with steals than live ball rebounds with Cat. Um, and just cause he hasn't gotten as many live ball rebounds cause Vando has been kind of been beating that drum, but, um, but yeah, man, just overall thesis, bring it home. You know, the wolves are doing such a great job of creating extra chances for themselves in transition, whether it be off steals or off live ball rebounds. And then on second chances, um, uh, but they're just not converting it the way they need to be. And for a team that's really struggling in the half court, that's going to continue to hold them back until they can really convert, um, really convert those easy chances. And I think a lot of it stems from guys like Malik Beasley, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, uh, just not shooting the three as well as they did last year. Yeah.
0: It must be super frustrating for, for Chris Finch who. It was born out of the analytics era of of Daryl Morey and, and alongside Rossas and, and like, Gupta, yeah, and Gupta. And this is like this is what analytics wants you to do. It wants you to get out in transition, which which invariably leads to easier opportunities. It wants you to get second chance points, which you know allows you to to attempt to score while the defense is scrambled. It wants you to, you know, move the ball. It wants you to get open shots for for guys who have historically shot those shots well. And all of that is happening. He, like, everything... If he came into the season... If you came into the season and you told Chris Finch, like, this team's going to be one of the best teams in, get to get out in transition. It's going to be one of the best second chance offensive teams. And it's going to have one of the best shot qualities in the league. He would probably, A, be pretty fucking surprised. And, B, think that he is, like set in that top six of the West. And the only thing, or the main thing, that is stopping them from being set in the top six of the West, apart from this never-ending fucking pandemic, is that shots just haven't gone in, inexplicably. like, And there's nothing really for us to sit here and analyse on why the shots haven't gone in, because I don't know. I don't know why D'Angelo Russell can't seem to hit a, a three consistently. I don't know why Malik Beasley, who does seem like he's back in shape now, still
1: can't hit his, open shots consistently like his conditioning and his shot form is all the way back
0: yeah uh, I just, and i, I think I, I think while he's when he's not shooting dumb shots his shot is kind of all the way back he's just shooting a lot of dumb shots especially without
1: you know guys yeah, I think, to kind of regulate I think that's him. had to do with him kind of pushing with guys out but yeah like his catch to fire time and, and his mechanics with that is is looking great yeah um, yeah and so i'm confident if there's any guy that i'm confident is is going to keep getting back to where he should be, it's Malik. Um, and I think yeah. that that's, the one, that's one of the benefits of him having
0: to play. And I think he's been awful lately. But I also, I also think he's been way overextended, which is not really his fault when he's just been asked to be the guy who shoots 18 times a game, which is just kind of not his role. But if there's one good thing that comes out of that stretch is that, like... The, the conditioning, as you said, the, the the catch-to-fire time, which is like lightning, back to lightning at the moment, um that's all going to be there now when he's shooting 10 shots a game and they're coming off, you know, driving kicks from Russell or driving kicks from Ann, and and, and those shots, theoretically, would be a little bit easier. Maybe he can get back to that level that, that does lend itself to, to, you know, Chris Finch not pulling his hair out at his team, just missing shots all game.
1: Yeah, and I think it pres- just that whole you know, crux that you laid out um, presents a really interesting idea or kind of problem to solve for Sachin Gupta at the trade deadline is, well, do you want to go out and try and get somebody that's more defensive minded and trust that all those guys who are struggling uh, are going to figure it out and kind of further cement the defense and trust that the offense is going to come along? Or you know do you try and you know go in and and try and bring in a hired gun uh, that can really try and kickstart the offense or kind of who who can bring shot making that can that can accelerate things for for the wolves on the offense and trust that your defense is going to be you know as stellar as it has been thus far i think i think there's kind of two paths that you can go down there um, and you and you can kind of you know with your own imagination play around with with what guy is down what path but um yeah man based on based on you know what the numbers in in historical context has told us about a lot of these players they'll figure it out but um but they haven't so far and if they don't um i I think january i think the end of january and into into february with the trade deadline season is is going to be pretty interesting because that's only that's only about five weeks away
0: yeah what would what would you do if you're kind of thinking of like a guy who's going to come in and play, you know, I don't think they're going to change too much in terms of the starters unless they can wrangle a Miles Turner or you know Ben Simmons, which I do think is a pretty far out possibility. But you know, if you're if you're bringing in a guy who's, I guess, replacing Torian Prince or replacing, you know, the fifteen minutes at the at the tenth man on the on the rotation, like, do you want defense or do you want shooting? Obviously, you'd prefer to get both, but like. At that level of play, you, you probably kind of choosing between one or the other.
1: I think I would choose shooting, man. Yeah. Um, you know. Choose what Tory and
0: Prince should be or what, you know, what he was supposed to be. That's what I want is a guy who hits 40% of his jumpers, of his three point jumpers. And, and, I
1: actually, and I actually don't doubt that, that he can get back to that. If I'm uh, being I'm, honest I'm with still you.
0: on Prince Island, man. Like,
1: like I still, still maintain that that was a good move for the Wolves. Like, they needed to get rid of Ricky Rubio, anyways, and like, just so that Patrick Beverly could could do what he does. And like, I think Patrick Beverly, you you I mean, you can make the argument however you want it to, but I mean, I think Patrick Beverly has been you know more impactful to the Wolves this year than Rubio has been to the to the Cavs when he's been more impactful to
0: the wolves than maybe any non-star player fucking ever has.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, I think the wolves honestly will probably look at getting a big body. Um, you know, I think that's what they should do. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, if you could get a guy that would be like Nathan Knight, but like three inches taller, um, like that would be awesome. Um, I I think a guy that that would be kind of interesting in that regard would be Chris Boucher. I mean, he's not shooting the the three as well this year, but I mean, he he shot it pretty well last year. Um, right. Yeah. Just like another guy that that can give you inside protection, especially with the bench shooting. He's athletic enough to take guys off the dribble. Um, so someone like that, I think would be, would be rather interesting, but, um, but yeah, man, I, I think that, you know, you got to lean into offense. Um, there's mm-hmm. just so many guys that are good shooters that are on the trade market right now. Um, I mean, especially you look, you look at someone like Cam Reddish who apparently can be had for, um, for a first round pick. Um, and, I mean, you look at Cam Reddish's career NBA stats, like it's not really all that impressive, but but he's shooting back to 39% from three this year. Um, and that's something that <laughs> is definitely more like what everybody thought Cam Reddish was going to be. Um, and oh, by the way, he's six foot eight can, de- can defend multiple positions. Um, so I think someone like that, uh, really makes a lot of sense. Uh, Miles Turner, I mean, obviously also makes a lot of sense. He's a guy that can do both, um, and his offensive game, I think has been a little bit more impressive this year than it has been in, in years past. Um, which three point shooting is up a little bit this year. It's, it's well above league average at 36 and percent. Um, so I, I think, I mean, those are the two guys that you're going to hear from me the most, um. You know, last year Grayson Allen was one of those guys um, who I wanted the Wolves to look at. He's been fantastic for the Milwaukee Bucks this year. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, Miles Turner, Cambridge, one of those two guys I think would be awesome. Like, I think the yeah. Wolves can get by with the front court that they have right now, um, just because Cat's done such a better job this season of not fouling, um, especially in the half court. You know, against big guys, which is important.
0: And uh, I'm very worried
1: but. about
0: what this team would look like if Vando wasn't playing 30 minutes a game, to be honest. Like, I think he does a lot more than just be a power forward. Like, the the defensive work he does, obviously, if you get a Miles Turner, he's still a great defender. But, like, you watch Vando throughout a game, and he's not guarding fours all game, man. Like, he guards one, two, three, four, five consistently all game. The the amount of times they have him switch on to big wings and the amount of games they've won against teams with really good big wings. Miami jumps to mind, um, you know, that game against, the, both games against the Lakers, and then this recent one as well, where he got a LeBron all game. Like, I don't know if I'm willing to have a team that doesn't have Vanderbilt as a starter, because he is super, super important to what this team does, and we just spoke about how their whole mentality and, and mantra of the team is just to, like, fuck shit up, um, and Vando's kind of, like, the ultimate fucker opera, or like,
1: yeah man. no i i definitely hear that and i definitely think with either of those guys you start thinking about you know messing around with rotation um a little bit but you know i i personally still think that you could get by with um you know that you could get by with playing vanderbilt all those minutes uh even if he was coming off the bench because yeah, um, that, like, it is with, true. With, yeah. with either of those guys like malik beasley likely isn't going to be a guy that's around um like I just think Cam Reddish gives you more off the dribble while still being yeah. a really good oh. shooter. I think um, if I think but. if Reddish
0: is if Reddish is taking like Reddish for sure, I have no issues with. If Reddish is taking Beasley's minutes or you know taking Prince Prince's minutes or like that that kind of ten fifteen minutes that's like you know in in the void at the moment. If he's taking that and then a, a few of Beasley's and a few of Noels and he's kind of you know rounding out at twenty three to twenty eight minutes a night as kind of like a sixth man, like sign me the fuck up for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, It's the big guys that worry me that I know this team needs size and that's kind of like, I'm in this like weird space where I know they need size and I'm very worried if Jared Vanderbilt isn't the starting four because like, I don't know, I guess it's just like how much longer does this sample size, how, how much does this sample size need to grow of this starting five where it's kind of just like, all right, this starting five is very, very good. Let's just no, let's I, I think get it's, other paces around it. I
1: think it's very, very good. And I think the nice thing about either Reddish or Turner is that, you know, you you theoretically, if you didn't start Jared Vanderbilt, right? Turner, Turner slides in at the five, Katz at the four, Edwards is at the three, and then you still have your starting backcourt, is that, you know, you could theoretically take out D'Angelo Russell and Miles Turner, you know, in the first after like three, four minutes. Yeah. And and play those guys mostly with the bench.
0: Yeah.
1: And then intermix them with the starters. And the nice thing about you know being able to have someone like Vanderbilt and Turner, um, or Reddish and Vanderbilt or, or whatever you want to do is like the the Timberwolves as they have been for a lot of this season can be malleable with the rotation based on the matchup. Like some nights Malik Beasley just doesn't play as much. Yeah. Some nights some nights Vanderbilt doesn't play as much. Some nights some nights they need to be way bigger and like Nas Reed might play more or Nathan Knight might play more depending on who the matchup is. And, and I think that, that getting a guy like Turner would allow you to be so malleable with your rotation on a night to night basis. And I understand that some people, you know, really don't want to mess with something that's great right now. And And I have no pushback against that. I honestly don't. Um, uh, I but think they're, that... still,
0: they're still a team that's ninth in the West at the moment. And, like, yeah. Miles Turner yeah, is, is a ridiculous talent defensively, who, as you said, is very malleable and, and very easily fit into virtually any team in the league. And, like, as much as I love this starting lineup and as much as I really, really love Jared Vanderbilt, like, if you can get talent, you go and get talent, and you, you just figure the rest out later, especially because v- Vanderbilt is also malleable. Yeah, Uh, especially defensively.
1: And if you're going to consolidate too, like all these guys are going to be getting more minutes. Like it wouldn't surprise me if they went out and got a Turner if like we instantly went to like a nine man rotation and every guy's just playing more. So that way you can still find like those five man units that have played really well together, Uh, your four man units or three man units or however you want to look at it, especially with that starting five that they currently have, like you'd still be able to get a good chunk of those minutes with that lineup. Um, And who knows if it's a smaller team. Maybe you feel like you don't close with Turner or maybe, um, you know, as crazy as that sounds. But like Miles Turner is a guy that's played 29 minutes a game in his career. Like yeah. he hasn't played. No, he's never played 35 minutes a game. So I, I don't know. You look at a guy like Vando this year, um, who who's a guy that is playing really heavy minutes, um, especially for a guy with low usage, like he's playing 25 minutes a game. Like even if you went and got Turner, there's no doubt in my mind that you could still play him 25 minutes a game. I yeah. think it just comes at the expense of playing less of Nas Reed. Um Which shouldn't I, be a problem. Which I don't think should be a problem based on how you'd cover those minutes by slotting Turner in more with the bench. Um, if you have Turner, Cat,
0: and Vando as your, like, in your kind of big brigade, uh, I don't think the fourth guy in that really makes that much of a difference because those three are pretty much like both of those positions almost locked for 48 minutes a night. And you can, you know, you can play small a little bit. You can uh, throw in Nars for 10 minutes a night and he's not going to really submarine the, the whole team. But if you have, like, if you have three, of three bigs, then I think that, you know,
1: you'd be all right. And the other thing too, that you have to think about is like, yes, Jared Vanderbilt's switchability is awesome. Um, and, and we can't really take that for granted at all. Um, but on offense, I think Miles Turner just gives you so much more flexibility in, yeah, the, yeah. in the half court. And I think if you're looking at solving the half court problems, like Miles Turner might almost be a guy that you think about trading because of what he can do in the half court offensively, even more so than his defense, which is yeah. something to say. Um, but too, there'd like be lot,
0: there'd be a lot more pressure, I think, lumped onto Cap to be, you know, some of what Vanderbilt is in terms of you know playing on smaller guys just because. Like, Miles Turner isn't a, the four in that situation. He's a straight-up rim protector. Um, I, I'm not even sure how well he can consistently handle, like, a really aggressive, you know, pick-and-roll defense like they play right now, but I think he's, he'd be okay at it. But uh, I like the idea of Turner. I just think that, you know, the seamless fit for me it not quite as seamless just because he's, like, such a different model to what they're succeeding with right now defensively, and that's easier to swallow because miles turner is really really good at the rim and like it's not like you're getting a guy who you're not sure whether he can play defense at all like he's a great defender um i just it would be intriguing to me i guess is what i'm trying to say is how he would fit into what they've built at the moment and to that point i think that they wouldn't pay overs for him i don't think if you know if he was like really available which he probably is and you know, every team was 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 having this bargaining war for him. I don't think the Timberwolves would win it, a because they don't have the pieces, and b because I don't think Gupta would like shove all his chips into the middle of the table for Miles Turner. But I do, th- you know, when there's probably reasons there that that maybe he wouldn't fit with this team as well as kind of some people think.
1: Yeah, I you know I I definitely understand the pushback with that. It's just kind of like the main guy that you know that's out there that's i love the cam
0: reddish take by the way
1: cam and cam reddish would be good for
0: the games that inevitably pat Bev misses as well obviously he's not like a point guard but like he he can play the two and you shift and you shift russell down and like he can
1: guard he can guard anybody yeah Um, and and he can get hot as well the tough thing about the tough thing about coming up with a cam reddish trade is the salary um, yeah. I think honestly, if if you'd want to do it, like you'd probably have to send out someone like Malik Beasley, uh, you'd probably, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the trade would probably look something like, you know, Malik Beasley and, you know, like a 2023 pick, uh, I'm just spitballing here off the top of my head. Like Malik Beasley you know, is a 2023 first for probably you'd have to do Cam Reddish, and uh probably delon Wright, solomon hill or someone delon Wright is like the only guy in there that i think that you could make salary match with um that actually wouldn't be a bad deal the wolves need
0: the wolves need a backup point guard just quietly because
1: and that and that would allow both teams to stay under the tax still i just checked that um what should be interesting like you know with with them like I, i don't know how much more wing defense they need um you know with them having really solid defenders and in the Waukabaro and in Bogdanovich is is pretty decent out there on the wing, but I mean John Collins and and DeAndre Hunter are just so good on the wing. Like I just, I don't know, you know, it's yeah. interesting. It, yeah, it'd, it be an, interesting. it'd be an interesting thing to look at, and I mean, Leak Beasley also gives you a salary if you want to go hunting for for a star. Um, so.
0: Yeah. Anyway, we started this question with how the Wolves going to beat OKC and we ended it with uh, 20 minutes of Cam Reddish and Miles Turner talks. So that is pretty much what, you know, that's the the statutory board of, of the Timberwolves right now. We will see kind of what direction they head in, and I think, you know, this next stretch of games and this next month or so really will determine kind of if they're... If they're heavily invested in buying some of these guys and 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 really you know putting their their nuts on the table in terms of trade talks, so thank you, Jack, as usual for coming in and you know giving me an hour and twenty minutes when I think we were supposed to go a little bit shorter than that. But I appreciate you, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Good to good to talk with you, and you know, hopefully, hopefully with this schedule ahead, um, you know, we'll see the team get back closer to five hundred and really have some interesting storylines to follow up ahead of the trade deadline where I think the team will, will have some options to, to really not necessarily become like a win now team and mortgage the future. Um, but, but makes them be in position to make some interesting moves that can, that can really catapult the team. Not necessarily from like, you know, like the 10 seed to the four seed, but from like, you know, an eight seed to like a six seed or a nine seed to a a five seed caliber team. So, yeah, It'll be it'll be interesting to follow, and i excited to do it with you. So, thank you. It will be interesting
0: to to follow, and I'm sure we'll probably get back on here. I my New Year's resolution is to to really pump out more podcasts this year. So, hopefully, get back in here next week and kind of dissect what would have been at least three or four of these, these next up in, upcoming Wolves games and hopefully, you know, if all things go right, it'll be a, a lot of wins and a lot of, a lot of joy in there. So, Jack is obviously over at Candice Hoopus. You can find his great work there. You can find the podcast there. You can find my written work at Um Lots of fun stuff always over there. So, Jack, again, thank you, man, and um, hopefully we can do this again soon. Absolutely, man. Good to be with you. Thanks, man.